are listening to the Sports Daily. I'm your host, Reality Steve. Thank you all for tuning in. Got a good Friday show for you heading into the weekend. You know why? Because the NFL season is upon us. Preseason football. Good Lord. We'll talk about what happened last night. We're also going to talk about the dominoes that are now falling. What I've been telling you for weeks. Looks like one of those Pac-12 schools, yet another one, is about to be headed to the Big 12, which is probably going to knock another domino for another team and another team to go. Pac-12, as I've said for the last month, it seems like, they are basically crumbling before our very eyes. And Shohei Otani, first player to 40 home runs in Major League Baseball last night. Yet once again, same result for the Angels. We'll get to that momentarily. All right, let's get started. Not the most exciting topic, even though I'm guessing some people will look at it as exciting. And that is preseason football. The Hall of Fame game last night, Jets and Browns. Look, if you're expecting any X's and O's breakdown of this game or anything of the such, you can forget it. Because there's a reason I don't watch the XFL and the USFL. Because it's players I don't care about. And I'm sorry. I didn't care about anybody on that field last night. Most of those people aren't starting. Most of them aren't starters. Most of them aren't going to make rosters. It's not good football. But I understand it is NFL and it gets people, you know, the juice is flowing that we're getting closer to opening weekend. So if that excites you and you sat through that game, more power to you. Um, it was on in the background, and I looked up maybe five or ten times. Um, so I went to the box score and looked at what happened. And an old colleague of mine in the radio business, you might hear him still on Fox Sports Radio, goes by the name of Arnie Spanier. And Arnie Spanier's favorite line every single preseason of NFL, he says, the preseason is the free season. And he's talking about gambling. I'm sorry, the preseason is no easier to gamble on than the regular season or the postseason. It's all ridiculous. <laughs> so, perfect example. Last night, the Jets started their backup quarterback, Zach Wilson. The Cleveland Browns started their third-string quarterback, Kellen Mond, out of Texas A&M. In what I saw, uh, it's just a bunch of, you know, it's not like they're running anything intricate either. It's just out routes, curl routes, screen passes. You know, they're not putting a third stringer in there and telling him, hey, go run the, you know, two minute drill. I mean, you might have to at the end of a half or end of a game, but they're not giving him a very difficult, like, playbook to run in a preseason game. Just want to get your feet wet, throw some passes. But here's the thing, and this is why the preseason is not the free season. And look, this is one game. It's one. It's a small sample size, one game. But last night, the Jets jump out to a 13 to nothing lead, right? So you're thinking, okay, the Browns started their third-string quarterback and have fallen behind 13 to nothing. So once they remove Kellen Mond from the game, they're now going to a fourth-string quarterback who happens to be a rookie. 
you could have bet this game mid-game, and you probably still would have thought the Jets were going to win and cover, being up 13-0. Final score, Browns 21, Jets 16. Why? Because Dorian Thompson-Robinson, who started for four and a half years at UCLA and who's the all-time leading passer in UCLA history, comes in the game and lights it up. 8 of 11 for 82 yards, a touchdown, no interception, six carries for 36 yards. He was the reason the Browns won the game, period, end of story. Kellen Mond did throw a touchdown pass. He also threw an interception, but second half is where the game mattered because when Dorian Thompson-Robinson came in the game, they were down 16-7 at half, and the Browns outscored the Jets 14-0 in the second half because of how Dorian Thompson-Robinson moved the team, DTR. Anybody in Southern California knows he was a very up-and-down player. Now, you could have said to me if you took the Browns last night in a preseason game, I guarantee you didn't put a lot of money on it, but let's just say you took the Browns last night. You could be like, well, I knew that you know he was good in college, so I bet the Browns knowing that Dorian Thompson-Robinson was going to end the game. Okay, you knew he was going to end the game, but you didn't know how he was going to play. How did anybody know who he, how he was going to play? Kellen Mon wasn't even half bad, 13 of 19 for 92 yards. Zach Wilson, who was a starter in the NFL last year for quite a few games. Three of five, 65 yards for the Jets. Then they went Tim Boyle and Chris Streveler. Chris Streveler has actually started a few games for the Jets. He was one of seven for nine yards and a pick. He was terrible. They literally had 180 yards of offense, the Jets. The Browns had 335. So to say the preseason is the preseason and all you got to do is look at who who has the best third and fourth string quarterbacks because those are going to be the ones that are going to be playing in the fourth quarter, it still doesn't mean you know who's going to win the game because what if Dorian Thompson Robinson got in there and in his first game as an NFL rookie shit the bed? Yeah, he played well. Played really well. Probably going to move up ahead of Kellen Mond because Kellen Mond's been in the league three years and he's thrown, I think they said last night, three NFL passes. I think Dorian Thompson-Robinson beats him out and Kellen Mond is waived or cut. He's going to have to hook on with somebody else. But Deshaun Watson is their starter. I don't even know who the backup is, but they said Kellen Mond is the third stringer. So that means DTR is fourth. They're not keeping four quarterbacks on the Browns. So, basically, the preseason for the Browns is going to be, does DTR beat out Kellen Mond for the third string? I don't know. Maybe he moves up to second string. Maybe he's that impressive in preseason. He moves up to second string. Probably not. Probably not going to have a rookie in second string, but it is it's not unheard of. But that's what I'm saying. The Jets jump out. The Cleveland Browns are doing nothing. Jets are up 13-0. You could have live bet the Jets then. Could have live bet the Browns then. I just... That's what I'm saying is that preseason football is just as difficult because if you do lose a preseason football game, but let's say you had the Jets last night, you'd be like, great. They got up 13-0 with their starters or their, their better players, and then they put their scrubs in and they got killed. Got outscored 21-3 the rest of the game. Great. Well, yeah. How is that any different than a good team in the NFL blowing a lead and losing a game in the fourth quarter? It isn't. It's the same thing. There's no easy way. If you're going to be a gambler and you're going to bet on games, especially in the NFL and college football, you just have to know you're going to lose games. 
It's all about money management. It's all about winning the games that you put more money on. I know that sounds simple, but that's the way you're going to win money. If you bet the same amount on every single game you bet, you will never win money, ever, gambling. Maybe for a week. Maybe you have a good week and you go 6-1, and 7-2, and two, whatever the case, however many bets you make. I'm talking about over the course of a season. If you put the same amount on every single bet you make, there is zero chance at the end of the season you're going to come out on top. You have to hit your games that you like better than others. Those are the ones you have to hit. And you have to hit them at about a 55% clip. Because you're going to make, you're going to certainly, you're certainly going to win games that you're like, wow, I really like this game this weekend. And you are going to win it. And then you're going to lose some games where you're like, I really like this game this weekend. So just keep that in mind. We're going to go over a lot of gambling stuff as we head towards college football and pro football because, geez, we're only three weeks away from the week zero of college football. Granted, there's only, I believe, five or six games that weekend. None of them are great. You know, Navy, Notre Dame is going to be played in Ireland. But the week one games, uh, there are some good ones there, but plenty of time uh, to go over those and plenty of time for me to still do my studying and giving you my over-unders in college and the NFL uh, win totals as we head into the season. So did you see what shoe dropped last night? Sources reporting Arizona deal with Big 12 expected to be finalized soon. So they're in deep discussions with the Big 12. It's basically a foregone conclusion that Arizona is going to the Big 12, which means the Pac-12 is now down to eight teams after this upcoming season. Um, And yesterday, the same day that Basically, Arizona is going to be moving to the Big 12. Big 10 presidents and chancellors met with the commissioner of the Big 10 to formally explore adding Pac-12 members, Oregon and Washington, which we've talked about for weeks. Now, this move by Arizona is basically one of the key things in the future of the Pac-12, because if they leave and then Oregon and Washington leave to go to the Big 10, If Arizona leaves, Arizona State's leaving. I mean, that's a given. They're going to follow them to the Big 12, which means Utah is going to go to the Big 12, which leaves the Pac-12 with the four teams that we've been talking about. Cal, Stanford, Washington State, Oregon State. And those teams will get picked up by, like, the Mountain West or something. I I think the Pac-12, I've been talking about, well, the Pac-12 is going to pick up SMU and San Diego State and Boise State. I think the Pac-12 might just dissolve, and those four teams just go somewhere else. Because is the Pac-12 really going to be able to pick up six teams, eight teams to, to get to a 12-team conference, 10 teams to get to a 16-team conference? I don't think so. I think you just see, like, Oregon State go to the Mountain West or something. It just it, – it, it is pretty amazing. As a, as a kid who grew up in Southern California, I never really had, you know, Pac-10 ties. I wasn't like a Pac-10 honk. I wasn't like always fawning over UCLA and USC, but I grew up in Southern California and, you know, the Rose Bowl every year with the Pac-10 champion against the Big Ten champion, all that stuff. The it, It's it's sentimental to certain people, and I, and, I, and I understand that this is probably upsetting to people who have deep-rooted ties to the Pac-12, but once you get over that, you will understand that this is going to be better for college football. I mean... I think before this season starts, all these teams are gone. In the next two or three weeks, 
I fully expect Oregon and Washington to accept bids to go to the Big Ten, and I fully expect Arizona, Arizona State, and Utah to head to the Big 12 after Colorado already has. I It's coming. I mean, Arizona being in the Big 12 and being basically being accept or um, in dis- deep discussions and it's going to be finalized soon, that pretty much guarantees Arizona State's going. And then that only leaves Utah. Well, Utah's not going to the Big Ten. So they're going to go to the Big 12. And I love it. <laughs> I absolutely love it. So, and there's been talk like Colorado, um, well, the other two schools, Arizona State and Utah, after Arizona goes and Colorado's already gone, that leaves Arizona State and Utah. There has been talk that they were on their own timeline. They weren't in any hurry to leave. But now that these schools are leaving sooner than anybody thought, that's speeding up their timeline. That's why I think the Arizona State and Utah deal, once Arizona is finalized, those two will be finalized within two or three weeks. And, I mean, this is, it's, as someone who's watched college football for 30 years and is a huge fan, is it going to be different? Hell yes, it's going to be different. It's going to be weird. You're going to have, you know, Colorado playing West Virginia in a conference game. You're going to have Utah playing TCU in a conference game. You're going to have Baylor playing Arizona State in a conference game. You know, just all the matchups, all the mix and matching you can do. It's going to be weird. It's going to take a little getting used to for sure. But it's going to be for the betterment of college football. Now, for Pac-12 loyalists, Pac-12 historians, yeah, probably does suck for them. They're probably not too thrilled about this. And all I can say is you just got to understand we're in different times now. This isn't the 1970s. This isn't the 1980s. It's not the 1990s. Things are changing. Everything is driven by money now. People are going to go where the money is. I've heard UCLA never had really an option. It was almost like UCLA had to take the Big Ten deal because they were bleeding money in their athletic programs. And they were going to have to cut major, major sports programs because they couldn't afford them. So going to the Big Ten, they're just going to get a giant check and they're going to make more money. And that'll keep other programs within their athletic department afloat. I don't understand how UCLA is so far in the red with other sports. But in case you didn't know this, I know we've talked about this a couple times, but not enough. And if you have children that have played in other sports other than college football or college basketball, I'm not putting down those sports whatsoever, but everybody knows that athletic departments are funded by what your college basketball and your college football team do. They make all the money, and they pay for everything that goes on with the rowing team, the lacrosse team. I don't care how good you are where the money is made, and you've seen the television contracts, you've seen the bowl payouts, you've seen what March Madness brings in, how much money CBS and Turner pay to NCAA to broadcast the NCAA tournament every year. That's where all the money is made. You may say, well, what about college baseball? No, college baseball, while we do see the World Series every year, that's all we ever see. Every major 
sport, every sport at a school is funded by what the football team brings in and what the basketball team brings in, men and women. So when you get upset about teams chasing the money, just know if they didn't, a lot of those teams would end up getting cut and they wouldn't even have you know, maybe even a baseball team. This is the way it goes. This is how those other sports survive. They don't have television contracts. You know, yeah, you can watch a lacrosse game from, you know, a you can watch a Big 12 lacrosse game on ESPN+, Plus. but do you think it's getting tons of viewers and tons of advertising dollars? No, football and basketball is. So while Pac-12 loyalists and historians might be upset, I'm telling you, it's going to be better for the sport. And if these teams didn't go and get more money, they would have to cut some major sports programs from the athletic department. They would just have to. Those sports don't draw money. Everything is brought in by basketball and football. If you have like a great college baseball team, yeah, you make it a little extra money. You know, the UConn women's team is probably the most profitable team at that school. But, and again, that's basketball. You're just, you know, who, who's really good in volleyball? You, you, you know, UCLA is pretty good in volleyball every year, right? And some of the Midwest schools. Nebraska, aren't they good in volleyball, women's volleyball and stuff like that? I mean, while those are, you know, they're not money makers. They're great teams and great programs that's won national championships, but they're not money makers. You need the basketball teams in major conferences and the football teams in major conferences. You need them in those conferences to survive, to keep the other sports afloat, or else they'd be cut. So just know that going forward, it's going to be better for the sport. Trust me. And finally, last night, Shohei Otani hit his 40th home run of the season. Started the game, but had to leave because he had cramps. Pitched four innings, didn't give up any runs, but he had to leave the game because of cramps. He's had to leave four or five starts this year with either cramps or blisters. So he left the game as a pitcher, but he stayed in as a hitter and ended up hitting a home run in the eighth inning. And yet, once again, the same result for the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, a 5-3 loss. Now, they're 5-5 five and five in their last 10 games. They've lost three in a row. They're only two games over 500, and they are four games back of the last wild card spot with three teams ahead of them. So you could be like, oh, well, four games, they can make it up. Yeah, they could, but the, that means the Red Sox, the Yankees, and the Mariners all have to play poorly because they have to pass them first before they can even touch the last remaining wildcard spot. I mean, it's, it's probably going to go down as one of the biggest mistakes ever. I understand that the Angels did not want to be the team that traded Shohei Otani, but when he leaves in the offseason – to go to a better baseball team and a better organization, one that wins consistently. Angels haven't had a winning record since 2015. We've spoken about this. When he leaves in the offseason, they're going to get one compen uh, compensatory pick for him. That's it. 
If they would have traded him at the deadline, yes, you would have been the team that traded Shohei Otani, but you could have gotten at least four to six prospects and players that could fit right into your roster right now. But I understand what they did. They don't want to be the team that do that that did that. So they're going to get to the end of the season. They're going to say, "Hey, we offered him to we wanted him to stay. We did everything we could. He chose to go somewhere else. Not our fault." That's what they're going to do. And the bottom line is everybody has known since the beginning of this season that he wasn't re-signing with the Angels. So they can try and convince themselves all they want that they thought they had a chance at him when everybody really knows that they kind of don't. He's been with them five years, as great as he is, with is going to be his second MVP this year and a second-place finish in the MVP voting last year. And as dominant as he is as a hitter and a pitcher, he still hasn't been able to lead this team to an above 500 record in the five years he's been with them. So what are you going to do? He's leaving, and they're going to get nothing to show for it. And they had a chance, and they decided not to. Sorry, Angels. He's gone. Thank you all for listening. Really appreciate it. Please follow in Apple Podcasts. Also, rate and review if you can. I will be back on Monday with yet another Sports Daily. I really appreciate you listening to this podcast, passing it along to your friends, letting them know about it. Had a good month of July on the Sports Daily. Want to keep that going in future months. So thank you again for listening. And remember, sports will always be the greatest reality show on television. See you.